We're in the second week of the When Jesus Prays series, and this week's passage is Mark 1, 35-39. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Good morning. Well, today we are continuing in our series, When Jesus Prays, like Joe said, and we're in this uh, passage, Mark 1, 35 through 39, where there is a moment that seems pretty bewildering to the disciples and actually could seem really strange to us as well. It seems like Jesus has some responsibilities. People have turned up from all over the place who have needs, who need Jesus, who recognize that they need Jesus, and that's a good thing. And yet still, he walks off into the distance and goes to a place nobody knows where he is, and he prays while all these people are looking for him. Now, and I think, I think in our, our, our culture where everyone is busy all the time, even in lockdown, people seem to be busy. People find things to do and uh, feel like they have to always be active. I think this is particularly striking. And I think it should really challenge us. Because Jesus finds himself in a moment where he is not just busy, but successful. Things are going well. He still goes off to pray and to be with his father. And we'll see that Jesus did that because his life flows from prayer. Not prayer from his life. He, didn't, he wasn't reactionary in the way that he prayed. He was very proactive. In fact, so much so that you would say that it is his prayer life that drives the rest of his life. And we also see that he let prayer flow from being with dad. It's conversation. It's, he's, he's just being with his father where he belongs. It's not religious, it's relational. So let me pray and then uh, we'll get stuck in and see what God has to teach us this morning. Lord God, thank you that you have made yourself available to us because Jesus you came you paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we could have a relationship with you God so that we could do what I am doing now praying being with you having intimacy with you Father come and speak to us now through this glorious action of Jesus that shows us what we should be prioritizing in our lives, what is most important. Help us, God, to be people who pray and love to pray, and love to be with you. For those of us who find that a challenge, would, would we not be put off and think, oh, no, that's not me, I'm not really like that. No, Lord, come, change us by the power of your Spirit now so that we would be people who do pray, who love to pray, who love to go and shut the door behind us and just be with you. Come Holy Spirit, reveal to us our Abba Father, 
In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was reading something recently by Terry, Vir- Terry Virgo, who began the, the wider movement of churches that we belong to, called New Frontiers. And he said in a kind of off-handed kind of way that he would he committed early on to always prioritize his relationship with God, time with God. Now, that seems like a really obvious thing, particularly for a church leader to say, but you know what? I can attest to it. I'm sure you can too. It is one of the easiest things to let slip in your life day to day. When we join Jesus in Mark 1.35, he is inundated with people. Life is busy and it's successful. So how does Jesus respond? Can he and does he still prioritize time with his father? Well, that's exactly what we see happen. Even though people are coming from all over the place to hear him speak, it says in verse 21 that they were amazed at his teaching in the synagogue. And then in verse 27, they were amazed at his power as he healed people and he released people from demons in streets and in houses, miracles going on all over the place. And these crowds are pressing in. They're kind of, uh, picture this, it's kind of as if Jesus uh, is inside the house of Simon Peter's mother-in-law and uh, he's kind of in the garden and people are pressing in, trying to uh, hear him and, and, and bringing people forward to be healed. And it's just crazy, it's a massive scene. And this is early on in, in Jesus' ministry. Now I imagine that if something like that took place around our meetings as a church, and people were still crowding around after our meetings, we'd say we'd had five or six or seven meetings in one day because we just had to get as many people in who were being touched by the power of God and uh, just kept coming. We said, right, okay, well, let's keep going, let's keep going. And eventually, they're still there. It's still going on. And those of us who are leading it decide, now we're going to go away and pray. We're just going to shut the doors. We're going to leave these people here. What would the reaction be? Would you say that that's the right thing to do? Would that have been a good thing to do? I wonder if we would. I wonder, I wonder if we actually would be saying, oh, no, hang on a minute here. There's people in need. We, we've got to do something about it. But, but Jesus, he, he doesn't. He, he goes out into the distance on his own to spend time with his father. I was chatting to Phil, who's going to be preaching next week, and he was telling me about an interview with Billy Graham before he died, this great evangelist. Uh, and uh, in this interview, he says that the one thing that he would do differently, if there was anything from all the things that he was involved in, think of those thousands of people who were saved all over the world through his uh, teaching of the Bible, his Uh, glorious preaching of the gospel, simply preached, and thousands come down to the front, uh, wherever he goes, stadiums all over the world, and they're saved, and life's changed. I've met so many people who came to faith through Billy Graham, the Billy Graham Crusades, uh, even here in Glasgow, at Parkhead, or at Hamden, or uh, in Kelvin Hall. What would he change? He said this, if I could do anything differently, 
I would do less meetings and pray more. I know of no revival or great awakening where God has come and flooded a place with his presence. And I love to read about these in history. I know of no revival, no great awakening where that hasn't been preceded by prayer. People praying, testimonies of people praying for this very thing. The ministry of Jesus in this moment has blown up. It's, it would be as if crowds from all over Glasgow are gathering round in this uh, street somewhere and uh, he's starting to trend on Twitter. He's, uh, people are wanting to get his photos so they can put it on Instagram with him. He's been invited onto Graham Norton. He's been invited to do the carpool karaoke thing with James Corden. He is just the man in that moment. Like people are like, yes, I want a piece of this guy. And there are lots of people with lots of needs who are crowding around him. And I think our reaction, as much as we might hope that it would be different to the disciples, because we know the answer to this, that, that Jesus, of course, does do the right thing. He goes off and he prays and he spends time with his Father. He prioritizes the right thing. But I wonder, would we be like the disciples? And say, what are you doing, Jesus? There's, there are all these people who are here to be healed. Come on. What are you doing? Wander off. The disciples are panicking. Bulging crowds. And they don't know what they're doing yet. They don't have a clue. You can picture the scene, can't you? All these people asking, where is he? I've come all this way. My, my daughter is really ill. My, my dad is blind. My sister is dying. I just want to hear his message. This demon is tormenting my brother. My friend can't walk. Where is this miracle worker? Where is this preacher? Now, verse 36 doesn't really portray what's going on with much accuracy in, in our um, translation as we might like it. But according to the commentators, the disciples aren't just looking for them as if they've got all day to find him. They're not, they're not just going, Cooey, Jesus, where are you? Where are you? You know, they are sweating. Jesus, where are you? Where are you? We need you now. Come, Jesus. No, they are hunting for him. And the commentators use words like urgency and frustration. What are you doing, Jesus? These people who have such needs are the priority right now. You don't know what it's like trying to control this crowd down here. What are you thinking? This is not the time to go away and pray. Now, this is one of those situations where I do, I wanna say, these daft disciples, why don't they get it? I'm sure I would have been the same. But we need to learn to prioritize prayer. R.A. Torrey was an evangelist. He was an academic, a pastor, a dad. And uh, he was around during the early 20th century in America and, and helped D.L. Moody to set up his um, Bible Institute in Chicago, which is still training men and women today. He gained four degrees. He had five children. He was a chaplain for the YMCA. He was a chaplain in the army uh, during the 
Spanish-American War. He was a chaplain in the army during the First World War. He actually preached the gospel around the English-speaking world twice before you could just hop on a plane. Now, he sounds like a relatively busy guy to me. That sounds pretty busy. Here's what he said about prayer. We are too busy to pray, and so we are too busy to have power. We have a great deal of activity, but we accomplish little. Many services, but few conversations. Much machinery, but few results. Against the pressures of other people's needs around him, Jesus prioritized prayer. As the crowds pressed in, Jesus left to be with his Father. The busier Jesus got, the more he seems to pray. If we want to live life as we were made to do, to demonstrate the kingdom of God in our lives, we need to prioritise prayer. And the busier you get, the more prayer needs to be a priority. Is that your response when things get busy? Honestly, for me it's not. When things get full, my initial reaction is, get the head down, fix it, get it done. I can pray later. But Jesus shows us that we're supposed to live in the very opposite way from that. We're supposed to live relationally with God and let the, let the rest of life gain its perspective and work out what and how, what to do, how we should live from that place, not the other way around. We mustn't add prayer to our busy lives. Our busy lives must flow from prayer. But not only was, it, was Jesus in a busy moment when he disappears to pray, but he was, he was also in a successful one. People wanted a piece of him. This isn't just Jesus thinking, oh no, it's all going so badly, oh, I can't handle this, I, I need to go and pray. No, actually, this is Jesus going away and praying when the going is good. I don't know about you, but I find myself praying most fervently when things are going badly. But even when things are good, in the midst of success, Jesus is making time for prayer. It reminds me of when Mary and Joseph lose him as a boy during the Passover celebrations, and they panic, right? They, they panicking they're looking for him everywhere they're looking through all the crowds and they're going all the way back to Jerusalem and eventually they find him in the temple and his response is like well isn't it obvious where, where I was I was in my father's house of course life flows from the greatest thing we can have relationship with God himself how are your rhythms Back in January and February, we saw in our series in Genesis 1 through 3, uh, before we begin, that we are made to the rhythm of God's creative song. We handed out some notes and uh, 
we did some little studies in our grace communities and little exercises to help us to think about how we prioritize the right things in our lives. I wonder, how are you doing? Is it time to revisit? Has lockdown been helpful for you to assess that? And if you've not been asking those questions, this is a great time to be doing it because I think things are, are clearly about to pick up again for many of us. And I, I think we just don't want to get back into the same habits. Let's, let's plan prayer into our lives as a priority. We have perceived priorities and actual priorities. But the Bible says we are to devote ourselves to prayer. Life should flow from prayer, not prayer from life. But as vital as it is to prioritise prayer, I'm not actually that sure that the lack of rhythm and the, the lack of intentionality uh, for us to prioritise prayer is the, is the heart of the issue for most of us. That, that's really important. But I don't think that that is the main deal. I don't think that's the thing that keeps us from prayer the most. I think the biggest problem is when we don't really believe that God wants to be with us, listen to us and talk with us. So let me be very clear. God does not need you to be articulate before he wants to hear you. God does not need you to feel it before he wants to hear from you. God does not need you to have everything theologically correct before he wants to hear from you. He doesn't need you to pray even with the right person before he wants to hear from you. There are really only two ways to pray religiously or relationally. And religion is a terrible, terrible prayer mate. God hears you not for any other reason than you are his precious son or daughter to him. And we must know that that is how we approach God. We approach God as sons and daughters. Tim Keller, a pastor in the States, describes the difference between religious prayer and relational prayer, like the difference between the type of relationship that a tenant has with their landlord and the type of relationship that a child has in a good parent's house. The person who treats God like a landlord feels like they have to keep bringing a contribution to remain in the house. But a child with a good parent, they have no sense of needing to earn the right to stay. Why? Because they belong there. It's who they are. They're a son or a daughter in that household. They are, that is their house. We are currently um, renting a house. We've paid a deposit and we continue to pay a monthly amount on rent. And while we pay the rent, the relationship continues with the landlord. And if we're clean and we're tidy and we don't mess things up too much, don't put your grubby hands on that wall. If we do all those things, then we might get our deposit back. And then after that, the relationship's done. That's it. That's the extent of our relationship with our landlord. It's transactional. It might be in their house, but it's impersonal. Finley and Annabelle, however, are six months and our three-year-old, they do not have to sublet from us. 
You do not have to pay us to stay in our home. Why? Because they belong in our home. They are not, this is not some kind of transactional relationship. They do not need to bring anything for us to continue our relationship with them. We love them, we adore them. They belong in our house. Like Annabelle and Finlay in our home, you belong in the house of God. Jesus' relationship with his father is the perfect parent-child relationship. And what we see here with Jesus, you can have that too. So whenever you see Jesus going to be with his father, whenever you see Jesus doing the will of his father, that is there, that's written down so that we can see what it looks like to enjoy sonship. (laughs) That's one of the reasons it's written down. It's one of the reasons it's plain here in Scripture. Because Jesus then gives us his sonship by dying in our place and then giving us his righteousness, his goodness, And now God sees us, God the Father sees us through Jesus as sons and daughters. We receive his inheritance. He died and then rose and then ascended on high and he poured out his spirit. One of the things that he's doing when he pours out his spirit on us is he is inviting us in. He's bringing us in to the family And he's getting us round the table and we are at the table with our Father who loves us. He adores us. We belong. He wants to speak with you. He's asking you questions. He's listening to you. He's ready. He's waiting. He can't wait for the glorious moments where he gets to hear your heart. No matter how inarticulate it is, no matter how babbled you sound. Finlay, at the moment, can't say a thing, but he's got a few squeaks and giggles, and I love them. I I, I love those squeaks and giggles. If that's where you're at in your prayer life, just know God loves it. He loves those. He loves being with you. He loves wrapping you up. He loves hearing your squeaks and giggles and cries. That's what prayer is. It's relational, it's not religious. That's why Jesus says in Mark 2, 17, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. He came to share his sonship with us so we could all be adopted into the family. And now, as the writer uh, to the Hebrews says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Jesus said we should go, close the door behind us and pray. The heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to follow him into the presence of God, to follow him into our Father's house, to pray inside his everlasting arms. Now for each of us, That's going to look different. Prioritizing that is going to look different to us in different seasons. But here are some things that I think are just going to be some helpful ways for us to think about how we can 
walk away from the demands of the world like Jesus did, to be in our Father's presence, to prioritize being with him. Turn off your phone at least once a day to pray. Make sure that the place that you go to pray in isn't really distracting. So if you're a big reader, probably not a good idea to sit and pray next to all your favorite books. Or if you um, can't, you're just totally addicted to something on Netflix and you put on some worship music on your laptop, which you know has the little Netflix tab still up, get rid of the Netflix tab, maybe even find another way of playing your music somewhere differently if, if music helps you to pray and focus on, on uh, chatting to God. Do things like that. Pray where you can. While you drive, out for a walk, in the garden, in your own room, wherever there are just the least distractions and pick a time that's going to work for you. If you have kids and they get up at the crack of dawn, you're not going to be able to pray early in the morning unless you are ridiculously disciplined. So maybe the best time for you to pray is in the evening. And I know by then you're tired, you just want to switch on something and just chill out. Can I encourage you that actually, even if you just go somewhere to pray and you fall asleep, great, what a great step. Even if you just get a minute of prayer in before you fall asleep, may it begin like that and then see where it goes. God just wants to be with you. Maybe that's one of the ways he wants to look after you. So actually you do, just fall asleep in his presence. Try journaling. Bring a notepad and a Bible. If that's going to help you focus, not get distracted, not let your mind wander off, maybe turn to one of the promises of God that we see throughout Scripture or a psalm and write prayers in response to what you're reading. Write prayers out and let those prayers flow into your life. Let them apply to your life and, and just let the pen flow. I find that really helpful. If I'm struggling in prayer, if I'm finding myself distracted, journaling, super helpful. Pray with other people. We have uh, our midweek prayer groups, uh, our group taking place every single morning, Monday to Friday. It's for anyone. Come along, seven till half seven. Hopefully there's some details on the screen here now and that will mean that you can sign in and come pray with us. We'd love that. If you have the gift of tongues, where you can pray in a different language, use it. Exercise it is such a helpful way for connecting with God. If you don't have that gift and you'd love to have that gift, turn to somebody who you know in the church who has that gift and ask them to pray for you to receive that gift and then give it a go. See what happens and start practicing. Also, you should definitely try and come along to the prayer course. Wednesday nights, it's been excellent. It's been really good for me. I've not been involved really in and any kind of leadership there and that's actually been really good for me because I've just come in and just enjoyed it and the course has been so helpful and uh, then just chatting stuff through in groups has been great so get involved with that too. Those are just some practical ways that we can pray like Jesus did but at the heart of this is is that we do not let life dictate to us when we pray we let life flow from prayer. Sure we need to work out some practical times and ways of us praying that are going to help us in our different seasons of life. But the, our prayer lives should be what dictates the rest of our time 
here on earth. It shouldn't be the other way around. Let it flow from prayer. Let life flow from prayer. And let prayer flow with dad, not with religion. You're going to want to feel like you've got to put all these rules in place and and, um, you're going to want to feel like you've got to pray a certain way and it's got to sound a certain way and all this kind of stuff. No, no, this is conversation with your dad. This is conversation with Abba Father. Let it flow from there and let that relationship develop. Don't worry if it's just like baby language right now and just let it grow. Let it grow. It will come in time as you pray more. Let me pray. Father God, thank you that you love us. Thank you, God, that you've made a way for us to uh, come into your presence and enjoy praying with you, being with you. Thank you, God, that you want to listen to us. Thank you, God, that our lives are made uh, to flow out of prayer, not the other way around. And we pray, God, that you'd help us to do that, to be people who are prioritizing prayer in our lives. And I pray, too, that We wouldn't be religious about this, but it would be deeply relational that our prayer lives would flow in relationship with you, with our dads. Thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you that that you do want to hear from us. You do love to spend time with us, even if we have no word and just sit in your presence. You even love that too. God, help us to pray. Help us to to love to pray and um, be a prayerful church that sees this city changed because of your power working through answered prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen.